Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick, my co-host, Jennifer Kalari, coming up in just a moment. We have a great show. We have a terrific guest from MTV, College Humor, a comedian, a host, an entrepreneur, the host of the Medium Popcorn Podcast, a film critic as well. We have Brandon Collins with us, and I'm excited. I can't wait to talk to him. We have a big show. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about movies and a little bit about how to deal with our mental health in this cancel culture. We're going to talk about that. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but that's something on my mind. And today's show is brought to you by the Fast and the Curious Vitamins. The Fast and the Curious Vitamins, these are vitamin packs that stimulate your neocortex to help you ask questions about your thoughts and feelings rather than react to them in a fight-or-flight manner. It's the difference between thinking you're going to die because of an overdue cable bill and asking, what is this thought or feeling trying to tell me? The Fast and the Curious Vitamins take you from, I'm a piece of shit, to I'm at peace with shit. Win the race against your own brain with the Fast and the Curious Vitamins. And there's a new channel on the Mental Health Comedy platform. It's the Lifetime Romance and True Crime Movie Channel. Every week, a new movie combining romance and true crime. Movies like All My Axes. A woman reunites with a couple of exes only to realize that the best thing to do is threaten to kill them with an axe. Mother Cluckers. A chicken farm widow falls for a mysterious salesman who is chicken to commit and ends up dead and breaded. Christmas bloodbath. The holidays turn red when an engaged couple fall in love with the same store Santa Claus. Christmas bloodbath. I want to bring in now our visitor from the north and the south, the ninja of the neocortex, the first lady of the limbic system and the soothsayer of serotonin, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. I won't be watching any of those movies, but I'm <laughs> I just think it's so funny that the Hallmark Channel has like different quadrants. They have like whole channels, and one of them is all romance, and the other one is all murder. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I don't watch it, but I think it's fantastic. I guess I wanted to talk to you a little bit today. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about movies, but also this culture that we have right now, people are afraid to say anything. Yeah. It's an era where people feel like they could lose their jobs if they spoke out. Everybody's going to say the wrong thing, and we're going to judge them very harshly. What is going on, and how can people deal with it? Yeah, it's a good question. So really, it's about polarization, that when conversations stop and confrontations happen, then everyone is just driven farther away from each other. Then they're just in an echo chamber, only talking to people who think like them and agree with them, and including all the algorithms that come into your phone and everything else. So we end up so, and, and the momentum behind that builds. So we end up so angry and seeing the other person as other and we dehumanize and then we stop having conversations and conversations and differences are what makes us human. It makes the world rich. It makes it, it makes us learn. It makes us grow. We are in such a place that people just double down and get so angry with each other that everyone's afraid to say anything. And so no one learns 
and no one grows and everyone just keeps doubling down and digging down into their own point of view. And I think that's really sad and it's dangerous. And our children are watching. They're looking around and seeing the world like this. It's a mess. And this is a response to, would you say that it's a response to the Me Too movement and to the conversation about diversity and race in this country? You know, I, I honestly, I don't think it's, I don't, I certainly don't think it's Me Too. I think this has been brewing and simmering forever. And social media, which can be a very good thing, but it can also be a very bad thing, has really kind of fired everyone up. It's going to sound weird, but I think people mean well and they think they're doing something important and they think they're fighting for the planet and people's rights, but they end up shutting everyone down and creating a bigger momentum and more intensity on the other side. And I just think, I think it's been going on a long, long time. It's just, I think social media has actually just exploded it out to the surface. It was always there. Then let's take it to this, uh, to this question. How, how do you deal with judgment and releasing judgment? Are you talking about if you're the judger or you're the judged or both? Both sides. I guess if you're the judger, I would really ask that people sort of turn inward. We talk a lot about heart coherence on this show. When your soul and your heart and your brain are in alignment, that's when you feel your best. And that's when you're usually having conversations and making decisions and understanding the world from a place of alignment, from a place of love. When you are judging... Even even the act of judging has like a brewing kind of, I'm better than you. You don't know what you're doing kind of energy to it. So right there, it's coming from a place of fear. It's And people who judge and who blame and who criticize are afraid. Happy, healthy, together people who feel pretty good don't need to judge anybody. They don't. So the minute someone is judging, they're afraid. And the minute you're afraid, you're out of alignment and when you operate in the world from a place of fear, that's what's fueling all of this. That's what's fueling cancel culture in general. And all of the, the judgments and the division, it's all fear. If we can learn how to control fear as human beings, we will literally change everything. It really comes down to fear. Because you might have this thing where, you know, you've heard somebody make a comment, you think you should speak out, you don't speak out, you're afraid to speak out. Or you have reactivity in your own self, you're afraid, you feel the fear, so you stop what you're about to do, or you turn inward and beat yourself up with it. How do you shift that? Well, that's a good question. There's two ways you can respond from fear. You can either be quiet and not say anything, which is also not going to put you in alignment. You're not going to feel good about that. If someone has said something racist or something that's not okay anymore, and you keep quiet, that's not going to feel good in, in us either. But if you deal from a place of fear and you're like, you can't say that anymore, and you cut the person's head off, so to speak, that's also from a place of fear. And that person is never going to look inward and go, huh, maybe they have a point if they've just felt attacked. Where we can find alignment is in the center. If we can see that someone is afraid and we want someone to become less afraid, if that's where conversations can happen, if that's where learning and growth and understanding can happen, then that's the middle ground that we want to find. When you are correcting someone and you jump all over them, that's only going to drive them farther away from you. If you come from a place of love, okay, that person is misguided and having a terrible time and they're certainly looking awful, but what is going on in the center of that person's heart? What is going on with them that is causing them to embrace such an awful, dark position? There might be, just might be something you say in that conversation, not, not in that moment, but they might walk away. And it, there just might be a little aftertaste of it. And it might be a little, huh, 
maybe I am wrong. Maybe there is more to this. And that's how you start the spark. But canceling and yelling and getting angry, I don't think, I don't know. I mean, certainly certain things need to be shut down and they're not okay. And, and in a bigger way, we have to just put a stop to it. I'm talking more about conversations that happen or when you somebody says something on social media. Yeah, we don't, we, you know, we don't have conversation. People who have different political views or come from a different perspective or come from a different culture this is supposed to be the melting pot. We really don't have conversations. No, no about we have these confrontations things. or we don't talk at all. And then what right. ends up happening is the momentum behind that grows and then just gets more and more intense, which we've seen over the last little while. And it, I don't know, you know what? It, it is a, it's a big mess. And it's why like in, the, in my world, in the parenting world, my whole thing is about let's raise good humans Let's raise good people who actually are in alignment. They'll they'll just naturally use that as their as their guidance system. And they'll be strong enough and confident enough that if they are judged, they can respond in a very different way instead of from a place of anger. I know it sounds pie in the sky, but it's kind of the connected parenting dream is that if we can do this one household at a time, just maybe we will change the world. Okay. Well, that's a good place to start the show for sure. I want to bring our guest in who I'm excited to have. He's a member of the African-American Film Critics Association. He has a wonderful podcast called Medium Popcorn. Just come back from the Toronto Film Festival, which was very different this year because of COVID. And he's a stand-up. He's been on MTV and VH1 and College Humor. And a pleasure to welcome Brandon Collins to the show. Brandon how are you doing? How are you doing today? What's your What's your mental state uh, as as we're talking to you right now? Uh, my mental state is it's okay. I have some action plans to alleviate some of the stress in my life that uh, I plan on executing this week. Finally, got the confidence from my therapist to finally rip some band aids off. But it's, it's wait, what cool. is that? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What What do you? What I'm I'm excited to hear what that is. What are your What are your plans? What are you sure. going to do if uh, I can ask? So I am definitely looking to make a career change. Uh, I plan on informing my my director tomorrow about my intentions. I think I have a few backup options, but it's possible they could all fall through. And if so, then I'm just playing. I'm doing a huge risk on myself. But I think. That, that is yeah, so busy, it's though. time to do and it for my career, like and, fully, like you know, fully direct yeah. my attention to my creative arts, my podcast, drunk like history, and so I, it's scary because I've always worked since I was thirteen. I've always had a plan, um, and this is the first time where I'm like, you know, having a plan may uh, not be helping you the most, especially at this point in your mm-hmm. career. So why don't you try to take some risks? Can I ask you a question? Because this sounds so exciting to me. And so many people lock in and stay with things because mm-hmm. they're afraid, right? They're afraid of change. And they'll take even a, a unpleasant situation over an unfamiliar situation. Oh, absolutely. So when you make this change, is it, is it about like honoring that energy in you, the, the part that wants to move forward, that's more in alignment and wants to be more it in is. alignment? Um, it's also about following through on... The people, you know, following through for the people that believe in me. For instance, my my wife, my partner, um, she's incredibly supportive of this decision. You know, she's like, we'll figure it out. You know, we have a mortgage and a bunch of bills, but she's like, we'll figure it out. And I have always appreciate that also mentality that she's had and that we have together. And so for me, it's, it's kind of like not fulfilling a prophecy, but 
my family's always been like, hey, you know, we always thought you were going to just be a full-time comedian or writer or director. That's what you wanted to do since you were a kid. And then I got into like this education realm and I kind of use that as my safety blanket. Like essentially education has been my mm-hmm. like, you know, line of security blanket. And I've had it for half my life. I've had it for a long time, but I think it's time now to to see what the other side looks like in my career. That's fantastic. Well, well I listen to your podcast. Oh, it's fun. it's really great. I really love uh, Drunk Black History. I think that is something that, wow, I would just do that all the time if I could. Um, but I can't because I'm not black. Uh, it, it'll look a little weird for me to do it. Although I'd love to. Do, I will do it. I'm, I'm happy to come on. But I want to ask you about that, okay? You talk about education. We have an educational system in this country that has left has left out most of what history really is. And I can tell you that Drunk Black History is a great it's a great title because if you look at the history of uh, black Americans, of African Americans, you're going to want to drink. <laughs> that's that's kind of the the catalyst behind it. A lot of people are like, "Oh, you're just doing a black version of Drunk Black History." It's like No, we could just do a black history show, but it's so heavy that you need to have some type of entertainment element to it. Otherwise, a lot of people are just going to be depressed for an hour and a half or so. You have to drink to to listen to this stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing. My question is to you growing up in Ann Arbor, growing up as a, you know, as a young as a young man and and probably not feeling represented in media, probably not. I mean, I don't I can't speak. You'll tell me. How do you turn this around and how do you turn it around in a way where people are actually talking to each other instead of like there's separate worlds? I think social media has a huge role to play in that. When I was growing up, we didn't, all we had was like AIM, right? Like AOL Instant Messenger and stuff like that. But I remember you would have to talk through some issues. Like if you had disagreements on politics or uh, someone's relationship or their behavior. Like you would talk it through. You wouldn't just like throw them under the bus on a Facebook post or something. I think the biggest thing. issue with today, yeah. like uh, kind of going to right. your conversation earlier about having this dialogue is that a lot of folks feel like they're being gaslit and that's on both sides of a conversation. And that's why people opt out of having those con- those tough conversations. Because mm-hmm. I know for me, especially when a lot of the stuff was happening during the pandemic and George Floyd and all that. I was having conversations with people that weren't in my closest circle of friends, but having conversations with them about why some of the things were bothering me about what President Trump was saying at the time and things that were happening. And they were like, well, that's you just like projecting onto this because of your background. I'm like, see now, no, this is like, this is just right or wrong. This isn't about my my experience. It's just about what's right as society and like what yeah. message we're sending to young people. Right. And so mm. for me, that's that's been the most frustrating part about the lack of dialogue is that, you know, I know I personally have felt gaslit through a lot of conversations, especially in the stand up comedy realm. There's a lot of comedians I love to death, but on their podcast, they say some very, very problematic things that I just can't uh, associate myself with anymore. And that's kind of changed my my career trajectory as well in comedy the past year. It's a very tough time for comedians because there is no such thing as irony and satire. You can't. You're you're labeled. People believe whatever you say, even if you're trying to be satirical. They believe it. I think that's a lack um, of reading. Ed. Honestly, I think that's yeah, it is. No, it is. No, you're right. Parody. You're right. They don't understand satire because no one reads anymore. I'm one of the few yeah. people in my circle that reads regularly. 
why yeah. can't we talk about diversity? What is the what is the problem? Like, you know what I would love a podcast that talks about that where people just literally come on from different cultures and talk about diversity. Oh, I would love that. That's what that's the main reason why I went to New York from uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. You know, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan just had black or white. That was it. There was maybe two Asian kids my whole time growing up there in my in my class. It, it, diversity is tough because when when white people bring it up or like, you know, it's brought up around them, they get really uncomfortable because they think in trying to, you know, and wanting to align with what they think is the right side, they worry that they might be compromising something or giving something away, right? That's going to directly impact them. And then for people mm. of color, when we bring up diversity, we often worry that it's just going on deaf ears and that there's no real point of having this exhausting conversation because either the person on the other side isn't going to really listen to what I'm saying or like the message I'm trying to convey, or they're going to have their own biases that prevent them from mm -hmm. doing that. And, you know, it's all about self-awareness. If you know what your biases are, you can circumvent that through counseling and just having these dialogues. But if you don't have self-awareness, which I worry a lot of people in our society do not because of social media, that's where we have this breakdown in communication, especially with topics like diversity, race, and inclusion. You seem to be thinking that that the issue is the way we communicate because of social media, the lack of the lack of actual communication due to the 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 predominance of social media. Yes, yes, I think people are talking just out. Like, essentially, imagine the the you know the homeless people that are on the six train in Manhattan, right? And they're just shouting at people, and people kind of ignore them. But maybe someone will like look at them, and that and they'll turn away. That's how I feel about social media these days. People are just shouting into the void and occasionally someone will turn their head, acknowledge it, and then yep. do their own shouting. I, I really think that social media isn't productive anymore. So how do you do this, Jennifer? Because, uh, you know, years ago, I don't know, yeah, with, before the pandemic, Kevin Rooney, great comedian, writer here in L.A., he did something called Face to Facebook. He took all of his Facebook friends and he invited them down to the farmer's market and he said, I will buy you coffee and a pastry if you show up and have a conversation face to face. And they did it like hundreds of people showed up. How do you respond to this? How do we how do we how do we shift this? Well, so the biggest piece is and Brandon was talking about this a little bit. It's an inside job. Like first go in and ask yourself tough questions. What are my biases? Where do I feel guilty? Am I overdoing this? Am I am I operating from fear? What's what have I been taught? What do I see? Like have the bravery, have the confidence to go inside, inward, and really ask yourself those questions. And not because you're afraid of what people are going to say, because you want to be a good human, right? You want to center yourself. It's funny because I work with a lot of teenagers. They're either afraid to say anything or they way overdo it to look like they're, you know, super aware, but they're busy offending everybody. So everyone ends up in tears. No, no conversations are really happening. I kind of look at it like a new type of OCD where like kids are just checking their social media all the time to see who's mad at them. It's gotten so crazy that nobody can have conversations. And so part of it is start, start inside, really be honest with yourself and then be, then be brave enough to operate from a place of confidence and love that you're doing it for the right reasons. And uh, social media, you're right, it's all just yelling at this point, and everyone's yelling back at each other. And then everyone's, of course, you know, much darker when they don't have to sit with someone face to face. It's a completely different thing when you're sitting with another human, eye to eye, face to face, 
having a conversation and that the art of conversation and reading, Brandon, both of those things I'm worried about these days. So maybe I grew up, I, I grew up, uh, you know, around the three generations of family members who had conversations all the time, but it was a long time ago and the world was uh, different, but you learn through storytelling and, you know, kids were supposed to listen to their, their elders like talk, you know, so, so you grew up like that and some of it was suffocating, but a lot of it was kind of interesting. I'm asking myself these kind of questions as we talk right now. I'm asking myself why I don't have more friends of color. I have friends who were like me. <laughs> My friends are like me. I have comedians who think what I think and believe what I believe. That's what I have. COVID hasn't helped this because I don't even talk to most people anymore. But this is an interesting thing. you know. I mean, I grew up in Boston in the 60s, which was very racially tense and very separate. And we had busing and we had rioting in the Boston public schools. And we had, we had the KKK at my school. I mean, I grew up in a weird place. Okay. But I think that everybody's sort of, you know, you live a separate life and you really have to go out of, you have to go out of your way. You have to go across and really, you know, really be conscious about who you're meeting and and I would invite everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, we're going to call it the conversation challenge. This is it. Have a conversation with somebody that you've never talked to before. Have a conversation. We're in a culture that doesn't talk about any of it. Tremendous, wonderful things are happening. Change is, is happening too slowly, but it's happening. But nobody talks about it. And I think, I think white people are, are afraid. I can't speak for white people, but I will say that there's just no conversation going on, and that's the issue. There's also no conversation happening between Republicans and Democrats. There's no conversation. How, how do you deal with it, Brandon? Uh, it's tough. I, I mean, I have a great inner circle. I have some of my closest friends. They are Republicans. They did vote for Trump, but they, we were close enough. We're like brothers where I was able to talk to them about my feelings with the George Floyd stuff happened, and Black Lives Matter movement really took off. And- you know, we had some uncomfortable conversations, but we did it, right? And so I'm very grateful for the people in my life that were willing to have those conversations, um, both black, white, um, and other, other people uh, from various ethnic backgrounds. So for me, I've been very, very fortunate. It's just, you know, and uh, you mentioned this a little bit, like with COVID, you kind of like lost touch with some people, right? And for me, that kind of allowed me to remove myself from people that maybe I wasn't as aligned with as I thought it was in regards to just how to treat one another and how to communicate your feelings, your frustrations, your fears. I've also been deep into therapy, so that's helped me be able to articulate my own personal feelings a lot more effectively than I used to when I was younger. Did you grow up in a, in a climate where people went to therapy? No, not at all. Not at all. How did, uh, so how did that change? How, how did that shift? How did that change? Um, it shifted you? a few years ago because, you know, uh, my, my wife, who was my fiance at the time, I forgot what was going on. I think I was still, my grandmother passed uh, about nine years ago. I loved her dearly. She's like my best friend growing up. And that took me down a dark road where I was drinking excessively. It wasn't impacting my, my ability to work or support myself, but it was becoming, you know, alarming to the people around me. And I remember my fiance was like, hey, you clearly have a lot of things that you have to deal with, but I can't, I don't have a, you know, a counseling background. I can't support you in the way you need to be supported. So you really should start looking into getting a therapist. 
And, uh, you know, I, I tried a few different people and I've recent the past year and a half, I've settled on a therapist that's also a therapist for several comedians and stuff. And it's been incredibly eye-opening and profound. It's had a huge impact in my life. My, the past year and a half has been phenomenal because I've been willing to take control of those aspects of my life. Fantastic. Do you think that there is there a stigma? I mean, there's a stigma about, with all cultures about therapy and about how to deal with emotions and thoughts and communication. Is there more of a stigma or a different kind of stigma in the black community than there is with the therapy therapy people? Not as much as there used to be. It's definitely gotten better. When I was growing up, I mean, like, if I had told the few black friends that I did have, I, I, you know, I wanted to go to therapy, they would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? These days, like, you know, I have a close knit friend, uh, group friends of uh, black comedians, and we talk a lot about mental health. Um, I think like people like Kid Cudi, Kanye West, various artists coming out about their mental health struggles has really allowed the black community to be a little bit more transparent, open about the things that we deal with. Right. Um, I know Kid Fury on the read. He talks a lot about this stuff. And for me, I, I talk about on Media and Popcorn occasionally. I talk about my anxiety and how that sometimes makes me very controlling and hard to, hard to work with at times. And that only comes from that self-awareness I was talking about earlier. And that really has been driven through my therapy sessions. That's so great. I think, I think it is changing across the board, but it, it's, I think, ther- I mean, I'm a therapist, so I'm biased, but I just think it's so important to have a safe place that's all about you for an hour a week or how often you go just to have a safe place to kind of explore your thoughts and have that feedback and dive deep in a way that you feel emotionally safe and held. And I wish it was something that was available to everybody, but there's, then, mm. and it isn't. I mean, there's, that, there's a cost issue for a lot of people. Absolutely. That's, that's where I'm also really fortunate, I feel, because I, you know, I have a decent paying job or, you know, I, I did, you know, if <laughs> this comes out a few weeks later, and, huh. uh, <laughs> but it, it's allowed me to afford what I think is a very effective therapist compared to the previous ones I had that were, you know, had a lower pay rate. I definitely have seen, you know, what I'm paying for, so to speak, sure. with my therapy. Yeah. There are some good sliding scale therapy centers around, but, you know, I, I will say it's about how you match up with the therapist and, yes. and there are some great therapists just like anything else. And there are some, some therapists that aren't right for you. And the trick is True. to move on. There are some hard, I've seen a lot of them and there is, there, there is a trick to saying this doesn't work for me. I got to move on, but it's hard to trust yourself when you're looking for help and you don't trust yourself. You get into all kinds of you know, bad relationships and a therapist Absolutely. is another kind of relationship, right? It is. And to Brandon's point, the more people are comfortable talking about it, the more other people go, oh, maybe, maybe I could do that too, right? And you just yeah. kind of break down that, that stigma because I, I wish it was available to everyone. Well, I, that's why I think it's so great that comedians are talking about it. You have a group of comedians. I firmly believe that comedians are the bringers of, of mental health for the world. <laughs> I think they're the mental yes. health messengers, the perfect ones because they're willing to look inside. They're willing to talk about it. They're willing to make fun of themselves anyway. And they're willing to exaggerate, which is very much needed to teach mental health skills. All right, we're talking to Brandon Collins on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari. And uh, I just have to say those things because I have to remember who I am because I don't know who I am. Uh, And that's part of doing this show. It's a big process for me. 
Brandon, I was going to talk to you about now, like now you're uh, really part of a film critics association and you are, you have to see movies and TV yes. shows. You don't have a choice now. Yeah. In order to keep like my active membership, I have to like make sure I'm publishing regularly, which is, which is easy because I have the podcast. And then I've started doing written reviews for the website that also go around tomatoes. And then just uh, as of this week, started doing video mini reviews. Um, the first one's on No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie that just came out. That's got to be fascinating. I, I really want to want to see that. You know, years ago, uh, Vincent Camby, who's a big critic for the New York Times, he said that he sees so many movies that he has to almost apologize to the filmmakers because sometimes he doesn't really see the movie because he's seen so many of it, mm. so many of them, so he can't really be present. For the movie, huh. how do you find the experience, and what kind of movies are are your favorite in in terms of exp actually having an experience? Every time I go to the movies, no matter how good or bad it is, it's always a unique experience. So that's an interesting perspective. I mean, movies used to be my escape as a kid. You know, I was a only child, single mother, so going to the movie theater was like my way of like having friends and like you know being social in some ways. Movies that I really gravitated to when I was younger were like comedies, action adventure, a lot of Steven Spielberg movies uh, were in my filmography that I frequently watched. As I've gotten older, I've gotten more into like the horror realm. I've really appreciated really good sci-fi. So like Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, those are all Dennis Villeneuve movies. And mm. so uh, I think it's just because like the world is, you know, society is getting darker. It's We're in a, kind of this weird place where we're trying to figure out our future. And so I, I do watch a lot of things that, you know, go into the future and what, what society will look like, where the world will be and how they support each other or lack thereof. I think it's harder and harder to do as a filmmaker because there's so much horror in the world. And of course, there's also so much good in the world that you don't really hear enough about in the mainstream media, that there's a lot of amazing things that are happening, which is why you look at Ted Lasso and you think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Ted Lasso is hugely popular in the in the masses. It is. Um, it, is. Um, it is. It is getting that kind of recognition, but still it's on Apple TV. I mean, I don't I don't know. But but what it tells you is that there really is a hunger for inspiration, decency, mm. people who care for each other and treat each other well. There is that. That's always there. And on the flip side of that, though, Squid Games, which is apparently the biggest oh, show yeah. in the world, is Pretty the dark. talk of the town. And it's one of the most disturbing, yeah. violent things I've ever seen. And the fact that so many people from different walks of life are connecting with this for some reason. I, for me, I've been saying all week, this just tells me a lot more about where we're at as a society than I think you're right. Else. It's very yeah. disturbing to me. Yeah. What is it, Jennifer? What What is it that, that's happening while people crave things like true crime and, and things of that nature? I think there's two things happening. One is everything polarizes. And sometimes by exploring and going to deep into the things we fear the most, then we feel like we have some control over it, some agency over it. And it's always been, it goes all through human history, it's been part of our psyche. I, I think that's probably part of it. And then with the show, with the heartfelt shows, the This Is Us and Ted Lasso and those shows that though that programming and those ideas bring us into brain heart coherence, right? It gives us that, that kind of glowy serotonin, oxytocin infused feeling. And then we swing often between the two. And it also depends how people are. If you're in, um, you know, in, if you're in a fearful state, if you're in a darker state, 
sometimes the happier shows actually just don't resonate with you. And you're like, ah, I can't stand that. It's obnoxious, right? You're just not emotionally, there's just resistance to that. So mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with the the state that you're in. But I, I think it has to do with agency over it, like trying to understand it, trying to embrace it. Well, now he, he, you said something a while back about how you can watch TV shows and actually monitor your feelings and how to deal with them. And I do remember watching flipping between reality and scripted uh, yeah. drama and feeling the difference in my body. Like I could, it, it, like clockwork, it would go up, it would go down into my solar plexus, which was fight or flight with reality. And then yep. it would go up into my heart well, with uh, drama. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you, and you can learn to toggle. So Brandon, what, what Ed's talking about is sometimes with my clients, and I've recommended on the show too, that if you're watching something, and it doesn't even have to be something, if you're not into horror or something really scary, it's just any any episode of anything has like a, you know, dramatic time where you get nervous or something's about to happen and you know that it is. And as you're watching the show, if you can bring down your own anxiety and you can practice dropping your anxiety with films and movies or books even, then you're building neural pathways that actually help you do that in real life. I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, I think for me, you know, I occasionally engage in like edibles and stuff like that to help with my anxiety and sometimes with my creativity. And I've noticed with, especially with horror films, because I used to be a big scaredy cat. Like my mom could not force me to watch a horror movie. I watch it pretty regularly. And I think it's because when I think of films, I think of how insane you have to be as an actor. Like that job is just you're playing make-believe as a profession. You know, it helps me take away the seriousness of the violence I'm seeing on screen because I'm like, oh, these actors had to like not only pretend to be these characters, but also pretend to be, you know, mutilated by like a yeah. zombie creature or something yeah. like that. And so, probably did multiple takes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just a wild yeah. thought. So that helps me yeah. alleviate any stress that I used to have when I was right. here. And what you're doing there is you're using your frontal lobe to mitigate, right? And it's so interesting that you say that you were a scaredy cat when you were a kid, because I work with families and I work with children and I work all the mm. way, you know, up to adults. And I've worked with lots of super anxious children and, who are terrified. They could watch a commercial where there's something scary and then they can't sleep for three weeks. Like Halloween is usually a nightmare for kids like that. Like the my caseload is hopping right now. But they usually grow into teenagers who absolutely love my my youngest daughter being one of them. She was petrified of everything when she was little. She, she could not love horror movies more right now. Mm. She just loves it. And I think, I think what ends up happening is you develop this ability to conquer that, right? Mm. To be able to go there when you were so afraid of it as a kid. I, I, it's, it's all about that welcoming, uh, you know, instead of, instead of resisting, but I, I'm not a horror, like I don't see a lot of horror movies. I will see a movie like Get Out, for example. I like that kind of movie, but that may not be hard. I mean, of course it is a horror film, but a thriller. I spoke to a woman who makes movies, a big movie producer, and she said that she watches so many horror films and she's had to watch them. That's actually helped her with her fears. It's changed the way she relates to fear. Mm. So for you, Brandon, do you have a particular film that is like a go-to film, Um, whether it's horror or not? Is there a go-to film for you? Uh, I have two that I put on pretty frequently, and that's... uh the social network and uh, Scream, which is is funny because Scream was the first horror film that really resonated with me and also freaked me out because the the town that Scream takes place in Woodsboro reminded me a lot of Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I grew up. So I was mm. always like, yeah, I could see someone I grew up with like turning into ghost based and like killing their friends. Like that definitely. Could. 
It's the moon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very authentic. Yeah. Authentic. Authenticity and horror. What is it that you get from watching the social network? What do you get from that? The social network is just an incredible piece of art. And when you think about David Fincher and how he does dozens and dozens of takes, you know, Aaron Sorkin's writing, it's just a beautiful marriage of so many things that as a future filmmaker myself, like I just really appreciate and gravitate towards. Also, performances are phenomenal. They even made Justin Timberlake give a really solid acting performance. For some reason, I just watch it every week. I think it's also because I have a connection with Facebook, having been like, you know, my freshman year in college and getting access to Facebook. And I remember that being like a huge thing at the time. So it, yeah, it just has a lot of less sentimental value, but also it's just an incredible film. Hmm. Are there movies that, that for you that are, that are mental health related mm-hmm. um, that really deal with that issue? And are there movies that are race related that you watch and you're like, in, in, and you feel like this is an authentic film this is not, they're not dramatizing. It's very authentic what's happening right now. Mm, that's, that's a good question. And I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not even thinking of it. I'm just asking the question because. The movie that comes to mind when I think about mental health that really resonated with me when I was younger was A Beautiful Mind. Um, yeah. And then, you know, finding out that that story was very dramatic dramatized for the screen. Russell Crowe, his performance of this man who's a genius, but also suffers from paranoid schizophrenia. I never experienced, like, I had never known anyone in my life that had schizophrenia or any kind of mental illness, at least to my knowledge. And seeing that portrayal and, you know, the people in college campus teasing him, making fun of him because he had weird quirks and a different way of expressing his feelings and thoughts. I remember being preteen and saying, I'm not going to, I never want to make someone feel like that. And I think that that's why I got so into education and like mental health counseling and stuff like that as a, side career because being a weird black kid in the suburbs, I always I knew what it was like to be teased for just being yourself and not really having anyone to say like, it's okay to be yourself. Like <laughs> you don't have to try mm-hmm. to change to fit up certain mold or to make people like you more. And yeah, that movie really, really connected with me. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, uh, what do you want to do as a director? Because I know you're like, you're making a transition. You're shifting things a little bit mm-hmm. more in your career now. Yep. I definitely want to tell stories that have people that look like me in just situations that happen. Like uh, one of the scripts that I'm really proud of is just about two brothers who live in Harlem who find an iPod and it leads to this weird government conspiracy that also involves zombies at some point. And I'm like, young Brandon would have loved a movie like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's representation because like when I think of John Boyega, when I first saw John Boyega in this Force Awakens trailer, I, I was already a fan of him because of Attack the Block. But when I saw him with that lightsaber and it's like this young black man with the lightsaber, I'm like, it, it, this, I'm still into Star Wars, but like the young version of me now is like head over heels like for this movie now. Because just seeing this young black Jedi, like that representation has such a huge impact and yeah. something that I always wanted to see as a kid. So that's why all the projects I, I aim to work on are like about showing stories that I, I've always wanted to see on screen, but just for whatever reason, they just were never made. Do you know half the people in the resilience movement actually got started by watching Star Wars? <laughs> this, this is like the anthem of people who, you know, they, they, they felt disempowered as kids and then they watched the Star Wars. Now, one thing you never see in Star Wars is a therapist character. I, I was going to say, it's really dark when you think of Star Wars. Yoda's a therapist. 
Well, he is. I mean, he is a therapist, um, and he does beyond 50 minutes. Like, he doesn't just charge by the 50 minutes. He doesn't say, we have to stop now. Yoda never says we the words, we have to stop now, or did I get a check from you? You never hear that out of Yoda. But Jennifer, there's all these different things. There's a social prescription now where people, doctors are actually telling people to connect with others, giving them prescriptions, uh, talking to them about how they feel instead of what their ailments are. and. Mm-hmm. Do you give movies as a prescription? Would you ever do that? All the time. Definitely. Well, and I'm I'm a huge Star Wars fan. When I was a kid, when I first saw that movie in the theater, I think I was about 13, I went 33 times to the theater. Uh, wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's so, I mean, it, that those archetypes, those stories, though, that deep knowledge that Star Wars embodies, you, you'll see in all kinds of films and books and stories and fairy tales and everything else. But I, I often use that. It, the, the force is a great conversation to have about the dark side and the good side and all of that stuff. So definitely Star Wars, uh, but I'll use anything. But my the film I often recommend is about time. Mm. I saw that based on your recommendation. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. There's all kinds of amazing little uh, gems out there. There is a movie called Jump Tomorrow that I'll recommend to you, Brandon, okay. uh, yeah, both of you. But it's 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 a lost film. It's not that old, but it was made and it just has, I just like movies that have tremendous respect for the characters and they show different, different colors. Mm. Like it's actually human being in there. I like evidence of humanity. I, and I also like the element of surprise. I think when you have an experience of something, there's a difference between watching something and having an experience. Yes. And that's what you want. You want an experience of some kind. And that's what, you know, if you watch the show like Breaking Bad, you can't watch that show without having an experience. Now, you may not like the experience that you're having, but you will have an experience. There's another sh- series called uh, Love on the Spectrum on oh, Netflix. I've heard of that, yeah. Cannot recommend that enough. It is about people on the spectrum who are dating and trying to find love. Now, it's really about communication and it's it, because it's so honest because people don't have the same kind of guile or you know fear of of expressing what's going on with them it's amazing it's like a lesson in in communication i think it's a great great show love on the spectrum uh, tell me a little bit more about drunk black history and where that's going and how you want to produce and create that and and the and the inspiration for that again? Sure. Um, the, I mean, the inspiration came from my friend Gordon Baker Bone and I <laughs> getting drunk in Queens and talking about uh, how Black History Month was coming up, and we felt like we only hear about the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we both had like a sep- like a similar idea of what the show could be, and we're like, hey, let's just let's just try it out. And so we we tried a show um, at the Creek in the Cave at the time, which was in Long Island City. It was really well received, like large groups of people came out to support. And we highlighted some black historical figures and even talked about like some unique situations that happened that were related to the black struggle in America. And it was really well received. So we've been expanding that, uh, celebrating Juneteenth. We recently started doing a, a Halloween themed show just to add a little bit of levity to the show while also giving people more content. Because now we have like a global audience because of the pandemic, we did a lot of Zoom shows and those are really, really well received. But that also meant that we now have uh, audience members in Hawaii or London or Australia. It's awesome that like the show's resonating with so many people. The goal right now is to really take the show on the road starting next year once things start finally opening up in the country. 
um, where we could travel safely. We can, you know, be indoors with each other safely without any real concerns. And so that is the goal for next year. Uh, we would love to get some type of TV platform, whether that's on a streamer or on cable TV, but that's probably a little bit further down the road. Right now, we just are really enjoying the live shows and the energy that that brings. All our thanks to Brandon Collins, a really interesting, creative, innovative artist. And you can find him at Twitter, at American Collins. And look for all his podcasts and shows, Medium Popcorn, the podcast, and also Drunk Black History, and all of the live shows that he does. Well, that's our show for this week. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us at makelightmedia.com, makelightmedia.com. Find all of Jennifer's classes, all of the things that are coming up at ConnectedParenting.com, ConnectedParenting.com, where she teaches all kinds of resilient skills, self-care skills, self-parenting, how to have well-being for the whole family. Thank you for listening and write us at ed at makelightmedia.com. Let us know what's going on with you, how we can help, or how you can help us, because we all need help. And when it comes to mental health, we're all children and no one is ahead and no one is behind. We're all the same. We know what physical fitness is. What is emotional fitness? What is mental fitness? I don't know, but we're finding it out. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time.